You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. First chapter of Hebrews. So why don't we stand together and we're going to read together these 14 verses this morning. And uh, maybe you can even reflect on the words that you just sang uh, out loud this morning. Yeah, please rise along with me as we stand before the Word of God uh, in honor, really, Him. And so let's read these 14 verses, and, and maybe you'll remember the things that you just sang, uh, and they'll, they're all throughout this amazing chapter. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of God. Let's pray and then we'll jump into this amazing chapter. Jesus, uh, we want to come before you once more this morning and, and throughout this day, but we want to come to you now. Please speak to us. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our souls to what you have in store in this amazing chapter. Help us, Lord, change us, transform us to become more like you, but ultimately see your supremacy in this amazing book. Lord, just may our hearts desire to worship you this morning. May our hearts uh, bow before you as superior to all things and give you the glory that you deserve. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can grab a seat. Thank you for... Amanda, maybe she broke that beeping sound. That was a little bit annoying. Uh, But so good to have you here this morning. Last week we talked about, um, well, in this first chapter we hit the first sentence, which is the first two verses. But last week we discovered that Jesus is the one who speaks, that now speaks. And he speaks through his eternal word. Uh, This very book he is speaking to us regularly through. And so we can go to it as our, authority, our authoritative book and our word. And so anytime someone says the Lord said, we can match it to this word of God. It's the authority that we live under and, and seek to, to hear from. And Jesus is the one that is speaking now. And we're, we learned that last week. Well, today I want to point out Jesus' supremacy uh, by way of contrast. 
There's a, there's a whole lack of contrast in this first chapter. So this is, might feel a little bit more like a Bible study than a sermon. But we want to see what those contrasts are and then what we want to learn from them. Like who Jesus is and who, what does he do. And so we want to learn through the contrasts that are, that are pointed out in this amazing chapter and then discover who Jesus is. And so that's what we're going to do. You can see kind of contrast throughout Scripture. We can see uh, other things that you see through... Uh, through just a reading of plain reading of God's word, you see many contrasts. And contrasts really are differences or disparity or a distinction between two things. And the, the biggest one is between God and man. You see that all throughout the scripture right at the beginning where God, in the beginning God, and so he was always there, always has been, always will be, and, and man is a creation. And we're going to see that again here in our text this morning. But you can see flesh and spirit. You can see right and wrong. You can see Israel and Gentiles. You can see Jesus and Satan. And one that's really uh, controversial today in, in this age is between man and woman or husband and wife. It's one of those contrasts that we see in the scripture, but um, you see it all throughout from the beginning all the way to the end. And there's many, many more. So this is where I want to go. As I've said, this is where I want to go this morning with us as a church, as a gathered church together. Let's learn what this has to say in regards to contrast. So that's point number one. Point number two and three are Jesus, who is Jesus and what does he do? And then the application, what we can pull out from this amazing chapter this morning. So let's tackle number one, contrast. Like I said, there are many contrasts throughout the scripture, but the writer of Hebrews here is going to the next level. He's going next level. He's in a, in a good way, not in a bad way, in a good way. Actually, he did this perfectly. He says, you see, anytime you make a contrast, the right way to do it is to contrast it to God. We have to contrast it to God. That's, that's the only way. He is the plumb line, right, that makes things straight. He is the level and he is the cornerstone. Jesus is everything. And if we have to contrast everything to him, and if we don't, and you know this, Right? You know this, even this week, I'm sure. That if you become the plumb line, the level, or the cornerstone in your relationships, in your marriage, with your kids, you become that plumb line, that cornerstone, that level, things will go terrible with you. You will actually destroy your spouse, your kids, in those relationships. And unfortunately, we do this all the time. We become the cornerstone. And we become the ultimate and then we judge everybody based on out of our expectation and our desire and our wants and our needs. Marriage, we do this. In parenting, we do this. And, and what I want to do as a pastor, there's times that I'm sure I do this deep down inside of my motiva evil motivation of my heart. But as a pastor, and I want to encourage you as, as a spouse or future spouse or one in relationship with another person, is to seek to point to Jesus. Follow what the text is saying here. Contrast everything to him and point to him. He's the plumb line. He's the, he's the level. He's the cornerstone. And that's where we want to point. And in any relationship, we want to point to him. So let's take again, look again at our text and begin to see the contrast that the author is revealing to the reader. And so if you have your Bibles, please open them up. Circle these different contrasts. Point them, write the contrast in there. That's why having a Bible with a little bit wider margins is really helpful so you can jot down and then come back to Hebrews next year and see all those different things that you see in them. 
But the first contrast, you can see on the table there, I've made a little table for us. Not bad, right? Is that good? Thank you for the, the nice. Yeah, I, I enjoy interaction. This is really great. So you can see right away in the first three ver- or first sentence, you get three contrasts right away, and then you get a couple more. Uh, so a total of seven, and I'm sure if we really dug this thing deeper, we'd probably find a couple more. But let, this first one, first two verses, you can see the contrast many times versus many ways. And let me read it for it. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. We read this last week, but we didn't talk about the contrast that we're here. So many times and in many ways. So right out of the gate, we see the first contrast. This contrast is actually God and God. It reveals something of his character. That he is a God who speaks. He's a, he's a God who wants to communicate to his creation. This is a good thing. This is an awesome thing. Right? It's the frequency of him speaking versus the variety in which he speaks. This is a good contrast. This, is, this should reveal to us, oh my goodness, this is a, this is a living God, the, the one who speaks to me. And it should drop us to our knees. Just this first little line. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. He's speaking to me? So sweet. Second contrast is fathers versus us. Again, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us. Again, the main character here is God. He's the main character, not us. And it is the great I am that is speaking. He first spoke to our fathers in a variety of ways and at different times. He spoke by way of vision, by way of dreams, by way of all these different things. And now he is speaking to us. I, again, it ought to drop us to our knees. God of creation speaking to us? So sweet. The third contrast, prophets versus Jesus. Again, the first line, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Prophets and Son. Big difference here, a contrast here. The prophets inspired by way of, like I said, dreams, visions, the weight of the impression of the Holy Spirit to speak, given the words to proclaim, saying, thus saith the Lord. Or the Lord has spoken, and this is what he said. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. The prophets of God revealing what God has spoken to them. Plainness of an intermediator of sorts, a foreshadow, a shadow of what is to come. And that one, one who is to come is Jesus. Now he's speaking to us by way of Jesus. In person, much better than through an intermediator. Right? Much better. So we have now Jesus, and it's right here in His eternal Word. We have His Word spoken. And last week I said, man, do we hold this? Do we hold this with that kind of reverence? That this is God's words to us? And I hope this week it will continue to transform us in that way. So I'll save the biggest one for last, but the next one, I'll go all the way, skip to verse 9. The next contrast is in verse 9. It's the, the contrast of wickedness versus righteousness. And this is a big theme all the way from Genesis chapter 3 through, the, through all the way to the end of the book. But you have loved, says Jesus, has loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And this is the one theme throughout the Scripture. Like I said, this is what we are to do. We are called to follow 
the rightness. We are called to hate wickedness. We are, we are called to do right, to be holy, to be about who Jesus is about. This again could be stated because Jesus is not just righteous. These aren't just his actions, but that he is rightness. He is righteousness. It's part of his character. He's actually perfect. He, is, he personifies righteousness. So this is the character of Christ. He loves rightness and hates wickedness. And we see this contrast in ourselves. Actually, all the more we fall in love with Jesus, we begin to hate the things we used to love and love the things we used to hate. The fifth one is creation versus Jesus. Verses 10 through 12, you can see it on the screen. I highlighted it for us. The yellow is in Jesus. The green is creation. Trees, classic, smart, right? You should be like, well done, Jer. Thank you, thank you. Uh, this is for you. Uh, it says this, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth, in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Man, I had so much fun studying this this week. There's so much contrast when we begin to highlight different things and, sh- and shine light on different things, and this is one of those things and it's, it's blinding. See, cre- creation has nothing on Jesus. Jesus created. Jesus spoke it. Jesus maintains it. Jesus holds it in formation and order. But the most glaring contrast is that creation has a start and an end. It's getting rolled up where Jesus lasts forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The sixth one, enemies versus Jesus, is in verse 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Again, this is Jesus. This is God the Father actually proclaiming who Jesus is. And there's a contrast. He's going to be sitting back and the enemies are going to be at his feet. See, Jesus is greater. This tells us his superiority. Jesus is the position of ruler. He's superior over all things. If any being or created thing desires to do something in the kingdom of Jesus, they must have permission when in the presence of Jesus. And we see this in the book of Job right in the first chapter. Like when there, there's, a, there's an order of things. There's a, there's a submission of things in the heavenlies. And here in creation that we live in, on, in this realm... It's really obvious who is the greater. It's not us. We have no power over the beauty of the flowers or the creation, even our own lives. So the creator of us has the power. See, if we are in rebellion in any way with God or His creation without the blood-covering sacrifice of Jesus, we are considered an enemy. And I need you to hear me on that. If we do not have the blood covering of Jesus Christ, we are an enemy of His. This is not a one-off warning either. We will see this warning more in the, few, in the next few chapters, but all the way through the Scripture. The only way to, to God the Father is by way of Jesus the Son. All rulers, all authorities, all officials are placed exactly and have the exact power they have be, been given by, because of Jesus. 
And we see this in the, in the crucifixion story where, where Jesus enters the room of Pilate and Jesus says something to the, the king of this realm. The only reason you have this authority is because it's been given to you. Jesus is superior. No decision, no plan, no war is unknown to Jesus. Jesus is sovereign over all things. All must answer to Him and give an account. All wars, even happening today, must awaken us to the fact that Jesus is in control and that we as followers of His must urgently evangelize those around us to surrender to the King. It's a warning. It's a sign. It's a, it's a showing that, that of, our, of our sinfulness and our nature toward, and our rebellion against the holy God. See, it is clear from this verse, who has authority. It again says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It is also clear by the one small word, until, that God is not ignoring His creation, His order, or His righteousness, but is giving grace. And we need to see that. God is giving grace. He is, he is steadfast in His love and His mercy. This is a time stamp. This little word until is a time stamp and a warning for us. Enemies, if you don't have the blood of Jesus Christ covering you, you are found in rebellion. So again, enemies will be judged perfectly and be held account perfectly for what they have done against the Holy God. The contrast between God and the enemies of God is so bright, it is blinding. See, the enemy of God has no chance when God begins His judgment. So those are the first six. The last one is the longest one. It's angels versus Jesus. And you can see this in verses 4 through all the way through 14. See, this contrast is the biggest one, not just because of the length. Well, I guess it is maybe because of the length in the sense but the most ink was spilled on this one. It all, not only covers from 4 through 14 of chapter 1, but it actually flows into all the way through the end of chapter 2, this contrast. So the first six, to the reader, remember that small little community church 60 years after Jesus rose from the, rose from the dead, somewhere around Rome, are being encouraged. They're being exhorted. Right? This is an exhortation letter to them to really, really encourage them. So it's really important to have that mindset of why they're getting this warning. See, the first six would have been obvious to those reading this letter. It would have been, hey, remember this? Like the first six again, just in short, of course God has spoken in a variety of ways and times. Of course God speaks to us now. Of course God speaks by way of His Son. Like what better way is there in, than in person? Of course Jesus is righteous, and of course Jesus is greater than what He created. Of course Jesus is more powerful than all others. Those first six are obvious. Probably to that little church, probably even to us. So why angels? Why angels? Why spend so much time on angels here? Well, again, like I said, remember, these were Jewish Christians, first generation, 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead, Lots of persecution. See, they were previously waiting, and remember, they're waiting for a coming king. If you read through the Old Testament, there's a lot of a coming king coming. So they're, they're waiting for a coming king, not necessarily a lamb that was to be slain. 
They would have pressure from family, friends, neighbors to go back to the law, to go back to ritual, to go back to sacrifice, to flee the persecution from the synagogue and the government of Nero at the time. This is what these people, this small little church community was facing. To go as far as to say what you may have experienced with Jesus was in actuality an angel. They were trying to explain it off. That this, this one that was sacrificed wasn't really God. It was an angel that came. He did miraculous things, but it was just an angel. One author put it this way. He said, Some of the Jewish believers were in danger of compromising Jesus' superiority and lapsing into Judaism. They were under pressure first from the imminent threat of Nero's persecution for being Christians. And secondly, they were pressured because of ostracism by their Jewish countrymen in the synagogue. They were being tempted to compromise. If they would simply agree that Jesus was an angel, perhaps even the greatest of angels, but not God, they would be accepted into the synagogue and escape the awful pressure, end quote. This is the pressure that they were facing. This allowed them not to outrightly deny Jesus, but not to affirm his deity, which is a big no-no as we know. So here's a table, another one. You're welcome. Boom. That was perfect timing. Well done. Uh, Another table, just on the angels and Jesus. So these, verse 4 through 14. So let's run through the contrast between Jesus and angels really quickly. Angels were created, therefore less than by name and status. Jesus is eternal, therefore superior by name and status. So verse 4 says this having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus' superiority. This is what we're aiming for. By his name, Jesus is greater than. Jesus happened to have the name Son here, not only in this verse, in verse 5, twice, but also in verse 2 and also in verse 8. It's a, it's a repeated phrase over and over again, and we need to key in on this as we study the Scripture. It's a repeated phrase. Then in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, maybe some of you recognize this in chapter 2, I give Jesus the name above all names. And he's given the name Lord. So Paul in a different letter is, is re-emphasizing this very fact that we see in Hebrews chapter 1. So Jesus' name is, is above all names. He's superior to all things. But then you have verse 7 and 14, which bring more clarity when it comes to the angels. These verses tell us that angels are winds, ministering spirits, and fire. And so there's a contrast here. We have the Son, who is superior and heir to the throne of God, and then we have angels that are ministering spirits. But the interesting thing, and this is where I don't want you to get hooked in, is Satan is deceptive in all of his tactics and ways, and that's why studying the Bible and and really discovering these kind of things and these contrasts is oftentimes when you contrast something against Jesus, that anything, like that anything that you contrast against Jesus is going to look weak. And it ought to. But you also need to understand the power certain things have and the certain things that you have as an image bearer of Jesus. But in the sense of angels... We need to take a look at this. We need to remember they are ministering spirits of God. They're instruments for the Lord, just as you and I are. But they also have some form of awesomeness externally that we need to see. 
Revelation 22, 8 and 9 says this. This is John, the writer of the book of Revelation. After seeing all these visions and dreams and different things, he, he pens out the, the book of John. And this is what he says close to the end. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. So fellow ministering spirits, important to understand this. But Jesus is superior by position and name. The next one regarding the contrast between angels and Jesus is creature versus sonship. Again, I've already said this one, but again in verse 2, 5, twice, and 8, Jesus is not only superior, but He is the Son of God, equal in all ways to God the Father. Now this is, is, is when the author starts pointing back to the Old Testament. And you can see that maybe in your Bibles, there's a little bit of a, a gap on some. Sometimes there's a quotation there. It's actually pointing back to the Old Testament. It's actually repeating a verse in the Old Testament. And it's a beautiful thing. And we need to take note of that. This, this author, like I said last week, is, is probably well-versed in the Greek Old Testament. He's pointing back constantly, showing that Jesus has been proclaimed all the way back into the olden days the days of old where the prophets were proclaiming Him. And in this verse specifically on sonship, He is restating Psalm, verse, or Psalm 2, verse 7, and then again Psalm 89, verse 26 and 27. So we're not going to read that, but I want to encourage you to do some study on those and just read. It's almost verbatim, if not verbatim, from your Hebrews chapter 1 verse. So the third contrast between Jesus and the angels is that Jesus is to be worshipped. Angels were made to worship. Here's the big difference. Jesus was to be worshipped. Look at uh, verse 6. It says, let all God's angels worship Him. Like if there is anything different between Jesus and angels, this is it. Jesus is to be worshipped. This points back to Psalm 97, verse 7. The next two contrasts come from Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7. The first one in this little section, this grouping, is His throne is eternal. And you see this in verse 8, where your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The second part of that grouping is that He is the anointed one, the set-apart one. Verse 9, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. There is no one like Jesus, never has been and never will be. Jesus is set apart and His throne is eternal. So now the next three contrasts come from Psalm 102, 25 through 27. First, Jesus is creator in verse 10. Verse 10, you see, you Lord the, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. And friends, again, repeated phrases. This is the third time that it talks about Jesus the creator. And, it, and a little spoiler alert for as we study through the book of Hebrews, it's not going to be the last time. And that's something to key in on. The second part of this grouping is Jesus' eternality. Not only is the throne eternal, but Jesus is also. Verse 11, Jesus remains, has no beginning or end. The third portion of this group is, is His immutability. It's a fun word to say. It simply just means unchanging. It's an unchanging. We have an unchanging, eternal God. Just to connect those two things, friends, church, an unchanging, eternal God. 
Like, think about that. And let me add one more. He's sovereign. He's superior. Superior, sovereign, unchanging, eternal God. So the things that we hear nowadays, that's why we can go back to his word, his spoken word. We can go back. Does he actually say this? Does this sound like God? Because he's unchanging. So it ought to be back in here. He's eternal. He's unchanging. In verse 13, he is the king. Jesus sits on the throne, contrasted to the angels worshiping the one seated on the throne. He is the king. Then finally in verse 14, this is a sweet one, Jesus is salvation. Angels are to minister to those that receive salvation. Jesus gives salvation. Such a sweet contrast. You can see it in verse 3 as well. It points back, if you missed it in verse 3, is really a small portion of the gospel. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus is God. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power after what? Making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus provide salvation. So with all these contrasts, let's now look at the things of Jesus, who Jesus is. So I'm hoping this doesn't feel too much like a Bible study, but I hope it does as well. I want to encourage you to reread the Bible like this. As a shepherd of yours, as a pastor, I want to encourage you to read the Bible. Find out those key words. Find out what is going on in the book. And because I was in it so much this week, when Ryan begins to sing songs at the start of a gathering, you'll start connecting these songs that we sing and bring glory to God through your voice. It's the work that we have as a church to come to gather together to worship Jesus together. So I want you to study this. And I, want, I would love for you to go, Jerry, you missed one. Or you missed two. Did you see this? I would love that. I want to learn together with you. So let's continue to study. Now let's look at those contrasts. You can start seeing the beauty of who Jesus is. The beauty of who Jesus is. Look at verse 2 and 4, 2 through 4, verse 8 and verse 12. All of them are on the screen together. Again, this is who Jesus is. Circle it, underline it in your Bibles. But it says this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That's who he is. He's the son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Skip to verse 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Verse 12, But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the heir, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature, superior to all of creation, to be worshipped. His throne is eternal. He is the anointed one, the creator, the eternal, the all-powerful one, the immutable, the king. That's who Jesus is, friends. That's who we sing to. 
That's who we train up our children to be like. Not to be like us. To be like Him. That's who Jesus is. So what does Jesus do? Look at verse 3 and verse 9. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 9, loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He upholds the universe. All of creation is His. It's under His authority. He purifies us from our sin. He takes the penalty of our sin, our rebellion. He accomplishes His work in full by symbolizing, by sitting down on the throne. The work is finished. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. He is the giver of salvation to all those who believe upon Him. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus does. And we learn so much when we start contrasting things that that the author is clearly trying to reveal to us. And he's going to continue to contrast through the rest of the 13 chapters. And so point them out, church. Find them. Discover them, and you'll discover a new way of loving Jesus in different ways. So let me apply these things, and I I shared them actually with the kids. If you're listening, you understand exactly where I'm going. But the application for us today, knowing who Jesus is, what He has done, knowing the contrast between the things of this world ought ought to bring us to our knees and sing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Seeing the contrast between the things of this world, especially the angels, ought to bring us glory, ought to bring Jesus glory. And so what do we do? What is our application for this week? Our application for this week is to listen. It's to listen. Listen to the God who speaks, who has spoken through His Son. Listen to Him. And then after listening to Him, surrender. Surrender to Him with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with all of your might, surrender to Him. Bow to Him as superior of all things. And then in that same moment, the third thing is to confess your sin. Confess your rebellion. And if you don't have anything today, then you're not looking hard enough. We all have something to confess every single day, every moment, because we don't worship God 100% of our heart every single moment. He deserves everything. So listen, surrender, confess your sin to Him. He is faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then fourth, so we've got listen, we've got surrender, we've got confess, and then receive. Receive the, the, the love, the steadfast love of the Lord, the, the beauty of His salvation for you. Remember, He is salvation. And we're going to see this in the waters of baptism at 2 p.m. Please come and join us. There's going to be three baptized this week and then one on the 29th. And we're going to celebrate with these three individuals that are proclaiming what's changing in their heart. They have listened to God. They have surrendered to Him. They have confessed Him as Lord. And now they are receiving the beauty of what He has done. He's died. He rose again. 
for us. And the last thing, the last thing that we are to do, we're to listen, to surrender, to confess, to, to receive, and now abide. Walk in Him. Abide in Him. Abide in the commands and the statutes and the laws and the beauty of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Let's surrender to Him with all we have for His name's sake and for His glory. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank You so much for Your amazing love for us. I thank You that this book of Hebrews has been given to us that we might be able to learn and grow and discover You. I thank You for the contrast that You've laid out through this author that we might be able to listen and learn and, and seek out and, and see You very bright through this first chapter. That You are superior to all things. So help us, Lord, worship you now through song. Help us worship you through our lives as we go out today and to gather into our communities that we might be a light into the community around us because all because of you. So help us, Lord, worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.